0: amen what a blessing if you haven't been blessed today and this evening you might want to go to the doctor tomorrow and get your blesser checked all right and uh, open your bibles again to mark chapter 6 i'm going to preach a message that i have not only preached here i have preached in at least 12 different states across america from the east coast to the west and i want to preach this message tonight uh, on my 31st uh, anniversary God's been mighty good to us. I'm thankful uh, for my wife and uh, thank the Lord for her. And so many times in just uh, thinking back of these 31 years, uh, yesterday and today, that I thank the Lord for her. I thank the Lord for my family. I appreciate uh, uh, the um, uh, staff of our church. I appreciate the deacons, at least most of them. I'm just kidding. I'm thankful for all of them and uh, their families. Can you hear me all right? It sounds a little different. You can hear me all right. Turn them on for me just, just a little bit. Notice, if you will, verse number 5, the Bible says, and he could there do no mighty work. And he could there do no mighty work. Verse number 6, the Bible says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. I am hesitant to use the title, careful to use the title, but it comes from that statement in verse number 5, and he could there do no mighty work, the message title, I do not want Jesus to fail. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of this message tonight. There are some who have probably heard the truth. And Lord, uh, I pray that tonight, even though we may have heard this sermon, this truth, we would allow it to speak to our hearts, and we would be yielded to your will for our lives and for our church. Bless and power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus has come to his hometown. In fact, this is his second time to be in his hometown of Nazareth. He made his headquarters, if you will, in a town called Capernaum. It was there that the crowds came to hear Jesus preach and to teach and to receive eternal life. Luke records his first coming to his hometown of Nazareth. While he was there, he read that passage of scripture in Isaiah and he said, that he had come to fulfill that passage of scripture as uh, he described and detailed his earthly ministry. When he finished, they threw him out of the temple. In fact, they not only threw him out of the temple, they took him to the edge of town and they threw him headlong according to the scripture. They threw him out of his hometown. He for a year worked and served and did what Jesus did He went everywhere, he went about doing good. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he caused the blinded eye to see, the deaf ears to hear. Multitudes came to a saving knowledge of faith in him. When he comes back to his hometown, the Bible says he could there do no mighty work. And then in verse number 6, he marveled because of their unbelief. I'm surprised at this passage of Scripture, at this, at this behavior of these people. As the Lord Jesus comes to his hometown, no doubt he intended to do a great and mighty work in his hometown. Would you not agree that anything Jesus had done in other towns, he wanted to do that and perhaps even more in his hometown of Nazareth. But when he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, he is rejected and they do not believe on him, and he is limited in what he can do because of their unbelief. When I read about what God did for his own people, as I read about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, I believe Jesus wanted to do something very special and great in Nazareth, knowing what the Father had done for the nation of Israel. He had taken them, just a group of slaves. They had no might, they had no power. They had no military and God delivered them from the mighty hand of Pharaoh, a world leader, a world power and he delivered them and nothing could stop the children of Israel becoming a nation because God blessed them in a mighty way. He brought them across the Red Sea on dry land. He took them across the wilderness. He gave them... Water from the rock of Horeb, he gave them manna to eat every day. God met every need they had. No one or nothing could stop or hinder the children of Israel because God was blessing his own. You come to the New Testament and you find the work of the Lord Jesus everywhere he went. What a marvelous and a wonderful work he did. I remember becoming a pastor in April of 1986 and it wasn't a month until I had my first funeral. While you study the scripture and you prepare for ministry and serving as a pastor, I searched the scripture to see what did Jesus say at a funeral. They never preached a funeral message. What Jesus did no man could do, Jesus raised the dead. They rejoiced as what what began as a funeral procession ended up being a time of praise and rejoicing. Jesus comes back to his hometown. I have to believe that the Lord Jesus wanted to do something special in Nazareth. We hear of folks that grew up in a town and They become a success in life, whether it's medicine or business or whatever the case may be, and they come back home and they want to do something special for their hometown and say to the people in their town, thank you for giving me an education and thank you for helping me in those early and young years and sometimes they'll build a baseball field or a football field or sometimes even build a school and, and they just want to say thank you for what has been done And for them. I believe the Lord Jesus wanted to do something very special in Nazareth. Would you agree with that tonight? I wonder what Jesus wanted to do. I wonder what he wanted to do in Nazareth. I wonder what he wanted to do for these people that he loved. Now the purpose of the message tonight is not to ask the question or to go away wondering, I know what Jesus did in Capernaum and I know what he did in all of the surrounding towns and I don't know what he intended to do in Nazareth. We'll never know because... He was limited. He could do their no mighty work and he marveled because of their unbelief. But the question is not to ask tonight, what did Jesus want to do in Nazareth? My question tonight is, I wonder what Jesus wants to do in the state of Kentucky right now. I wonder what he wants to do in our town now. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever I believe that God wants to do a mighty and a marvelous work anywhere that folks will not only obey him but have faith in him. And the question tonight is, what does Christ want to do in our town? Or let me say it like this, what does Christ want to do in your life? What does he want to do in my life? That's a question I've been asking a long time. There was a time in my life in early ministry I wanted to do something great for God. I really did. I I had known some of the great pastors of the past generation. Uh, You've heard me tell the story. My first airplane ride was with Lester Olof. That was the first time I ever flew in an airplane. I tell folks I got saved when I was five years old. I got the assurance of my salvation when I flew with Lester Roloff, and uh, what 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 a preacher he was, and uh, did an amazing work, and I mean just just a marvelous work. I. I knew Lee Robertson and the mighty work of Highland Park Baptist Church and Tennessee Temple and I I knew of those men and I I wanted to do a great work for God but I came to a realization in my life and ministry at some point it's not what I can do for God but it's what God could do through me if I was yielded to Him. For you see it's not the instrument that makes the music it is the musician that plays the instrument that makes the music. I'd rather be a simple instrument, a simple tool, a simple person yielded to a mighty God that could do a great work through me than me attempting in my power and my ability and my learning and my own knowledge to do a work for him. And so for some time now I have wondered what is it that God wants to do through me? I've learned this, everything that God does through us, he does by faith in him. The Bible calls on us to live by faith. Faith in God is is, uh, claiming the promises as if they're already true in our lives. And to realize that God wants to do a great and a mighty work, it's my job to yield my life, uh, uh, to yield myself to him as an instrument in his hand. Have you ever used your shoe for a hammer? Have you ever used your shoe for a hammer? How I many have you ever done that? Use your shoe for a hammer to hit a nail and knock a nail in or to, uh, to hit uh, somebody? Uh, you, you. Why did you use a shoe instead of a hammer? Why would you do that? A hammer's better than a shoe. Why would you use a shoe? Because the shoe is available. I want to be available to God. The Bible says he could there do no mighty work. And the Bible says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Now I want to tell you, it bothers me to think about grieving God. You know that I loved my father. My father died at the age of 40. He was my uh, dad. He was my pastor. I shined my dad's shoes every Saturday night. You know, I grew up in southeast Kentucky, and we didn't have uh, we didn't have blacktop roads. We didn't have gravel roads. You've heard me tell it. Unless it was election year, and we got a little gravel at election year, and that helped us along. My dad didn't like dirty shoes, and I would shine my dad's shoes. And I would every Saturday night. In fact, I still have after thirty-some years that last pair of shoes that he had. Those big brown wingtips. I have those in my closet right now. They're beside my dress shoes and i still take them out and shine them and i say lord thank you for a good and a godly dad that loved me and taught me the word of god and taught me to love him i never wanted to grieve my father and i'm going to say tonight i don't want to grieve the heavenly father i think of passages in the bible where god wanted to do a mighty work but god could not because of their disobedience or their sin. And as a result, he was grieved. For example, in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 6, the Bible said that God saw the wickedness of man uh, and it was great in the earth and that every imagination of man on the earth uh, was only evil continually. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And this bothers me, the Bible says, and it grieved him at. His heart. I don't want to ever grieve God. I love the passage there in those same that same chapter. The Bible says this, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know what that means? Of all that wickedness, of all that evil, he saw one that pleased him. He saw one that made him glad. I don't want to grieve the Heavenly Father. I want him to do a work through us. I want him to do a work in our church. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and he said this, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. In Psalm number 78, the Bible says this, how often they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. I don't ever want to grieve God. You've heard me tell the story of the day in August 2019 that I met President Trump in Louisville and to my surprise, he asked me when he met me and I just greeted him, thanked him for coming to our state and and he said to me, I want you to ride with me today and he put me in his car. I was kidnapped by the President August 2019. I never forget being in that limousine and I'm a button pusher. I like cars and I like cars with a lot of buttons. There are buttons everywhere in that limousine. I saw one overhead I thought, I wonder if that's a missile to Russia right there. (laughs) I could hear in my mind, I could hear my mother saying, Jeffrey Joe, don't you touch a single button. And the Holy Spirit said, That's right, ma'am. And I said, Yes, God. A few minutes, the door opened, and the president said, Scoot over, you're in my seat. He sat down and he pushed that button that I wondered if it was a missile to Russia. It wasn't, it was a mirror. The wind had messed his hair up, and all I could have pushed that button. I'll never forget that day, I'll never forget being in a room that was, there were governors, there were, there were attorney generals, there were uh, businessmen, and I'll never forget that conversation, and I was just overwhelmed by the power in that room. Blake Brickman was the uh, chief of staff for Governor Bevan. and I, I, was, I, I was just sitting over there, I was amazed, and I was taking pictures. He said to me, what are you doing? Taking pictures. He said, you're not supposed to have the phone in here. And the secret service that the president had assigned to me said, he's with the president. I said, I'm with the president. (laughs) I have those pictures on my phone I took that day. I'll never forget how overwhelmed I was to realize the power of men I'll never forget he told the story He said I was recently with the Emperor uh, the president of Japan and I asked him the question how many nations do you defend he looked at me surprised and said one President Trump said to him ask me how many America defends and he followed that up by saying And it bothers me to have to help protect your country and pay $200 for a $20 watch. I thought, that's right. But tonight I'm more amazed, not at the power of men who come and go, but I'm amazed at the power of an almighty God. The one that caused the sun to rise this morning and has since the day that he spoke and he put it into existence. The one that causes the clouds and the rain to scatter across the earth and to take care of our beautiful nation and our world. I'm amazed at the power of God and the power that he has and the fact that he wants to work in my life and he wants to work in your life And the question tonight, and you young men that have surrendered your life to serve God, and you young men that have surrendered your life to preach the gospel, it's not what we can do for God. It's a surrender to God to see what God desires to do through us. The Bible says, and he could there do no mighty work. Verse number 6, and he marveled because... Of their unbelief. Take your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is in Capernaum. There's a great crowd. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And when they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, that meant he was paralyzed. He could not walk. Which was born of four. Four men are carrying this one man. They're carrying him on a cot of sorts. And they have one man that has palsy that is paralyzed. and not able to walk. And these four men bring this man to Christ. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They've always been in the way. And that's different than the press. We know it today. Nevertheless, they're still in the way. Notice this. They uncovered the roof where he was. Notice the determination. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where in the sick of the palsy lay. I want you to look at this, verse number 5. When Jesus saw their faith, the word there is plural. So who's he talking about? He's talking about the four men when he saw their faith, when he saw the faith of four men that had brought this man to him and they, and they brought this man because he could not walk himself, he could not come himself and they carry him, they get to the house where Jesus is, they can't get in the house because of the crowd, they go up on the roof and they start breaking up the roof. didn't say they opened a hatch or a latch and let, they started breaking up the roof. Imagine the building committee got upset at those men. They uncovered the roof and they let the man down. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, notice the wording. He said unto thee sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know what these four men believed? These four men had enough faith. These four men believed if they could get their friend that was sick of the palsy, if they could just get him to Jesus, Jesus would make him whole. Not only would he make their friend whole, he would give him eternal life. They believed that with all of their heart. They had so much faith. They uncovered the roof where he was, and they went to great lengths to let down that man so they could get him into the presence of Christ. And when he saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Compare that to Mark chapter 6. He could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Mark chapter 2, when he saw their faith, he healed the sick of the palsy. Mark chapter 6, he could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Why didn't somebody believe? Why didn't they put their faith in Christ? Think about what he wanted to do and yet he was limited. He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. I'll tell you what friend, I wanna live my life by faith in the promises of the word of God and I believe every man, every boy, every girl, every teenager, I can get to Jesus. I believe Jesus can set them free. I believe Jesus can change their lives. I believe Jesus can give them hope. I believe Jesus can get them help. It's not what I can do. It's not what the church can do. It's what Jesus can do. I like singing, friend, but singing doesn't change a life. Jesus changes lives. I like fellowship, but fellowship doesn't change people. Jesus changes people. I'm not trying to get folks to a personality. I'm not trying to get folks to a entertainment or to some kind of a program. Our goal is to get folks to Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes the difference. America was at a time of sin and debauchery. Alcohol, as it always does, had brought America low. And New York City in those days in the late 1800s were concerned about their city and the nation. And a businessman said who had a little business on Fulton Street in New York City, said, we need to have a prayer meeting. we got to get a hold of God. Something has to be done for this mess that we have. And so they had a businessman's prayer meeting. And they said, we're going to pray again tomorrow. We need God to move on behalf of our city and our nation. The next day, that group of businessmen doubled. And they said, we'll pray again tomorrow for God to bring revival to our city and to our nation. And what began is just one businessman who said, I can't make a difference, but he can make a difference. I need to get God in on our city and what God can do for New York City. And the Fulton Street prayer revival began because of a man who had faith in God. In southern Kentucky in the late 1800s or in the early 1900s, a group of preachers got together and they said, our nation has gotten away from God. We've been blessed and we're away from Him. And as a result, sin is growing. And where sin increases, brokenness increases, and families and marriages were being broken, a group of men got together. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have a plan, but they did know a person. I said they didn't have a plan, but they did know a person. And that group of men, they got a hold of God, and God began to move, and a mighty working, and the Holy Spirit of God began to move. And what started as a prayer meeting ended up as a revival meeting. Not only were sinners saved, men were called to preach, and people began to witness to brothers and sisters. Folks began to be saved in the second great awakening. You can read about it in history. You can read what happened when folks had faith, not in a program, not in a plan, but in a person. Ask us tonight, God, what do you want to do in my life? I don't want it to be said, and it could do no mighty work in his life because he wouldn't believe. I don't want it to be said of Clay's Mill Baptist Church, oh, I wanted to do a mighty work there, but I couldn't. I couldn't find anybody that would believe my word. I couldn't find teenagers or young men or young ladies that would believe my word. May it not be true, but may we believe with all of our heart as the young people sang tonight, the answer is Jesus. I told you about Little Malachi this morning. They sent me more pictures of Malachi. Little Malachi, five years old, December 2020. Was a victim of a drive-by shooting. He was asleep in his bed. A drive-by shooting, a bullet went to the back of his head and out his left eye. Missed his brain. He's a fine, well young boy, but he's blind. He came to our Easter services. He rode a bus. He's seven years old now. He uses a cane to walk around. He's pretty good with it too. He said, I want to hunt Easter eggs. Here's what they told me today. They said, we put eggs on the blacktop so he could find them easy. He said, no, put them in the grass like everybody else. They put the eggs in the grass. He took that stick. He was looking for Easter eggs. He'd find one. Oh, he said, I found one. Then he would say, what color is it? What color is it? He picked the, They gave him the egg. He'd eat the candy out of it. I'm telling you, he's a fine, smart young man. He ate the candy out of it, and he got his stick, and he went looking for more. They sent me pictures yesterday as he rode brother Blake's bus to Sunday school, and he was coming down the slide. I heard him say, whoo, that's fun the most wonderful thing, and not just him, many others, but he was one that bowed his head and received Christ as his Savior yesterday. My friend, it's not what a church can do. It's what he can do. I just want to have enough faith to go say, hey, you've got to meet Jesus. Hey, you got to meet Jesus. You've got to ride my bus. you got to ride my van. you got to ride my car. you got to come. You've got to find out about Jesus. Jesus can set you free. Jesus can give you joy. Jesus can give you a purpose. Jesus can make your life whole. I have the name written down here on my paper, Ritter Polston. Ritter Polston came to church on April 19th. He went to heaven on April 20th. When we looked to see about his record of coming to Sunday school, not only we found his record of attending Sunday school, we found the date, March 21st, 2021, that he prayed to receive Christ as Savior. Oh, I love the fun. I love the games. I enjoy it. In fact, I ate some of the candy out of the eggs myself. It's not about the fun and games. It's about what Jesus wants to do. May it not be said he could do no mighty work there. Oh, he wanted to. He wanted to. May it not be said of your life, I wanted to do a mighty work there, but I couldn't because of unbelief. In the morning when you get up, you need to report for duty and say, I want to be obedient to your word. I have faith. That you can make a difference in somebody's life. Just let me be the vessel. Just let me be the tool to bring somebody else to you. Stand with me if you will. I don't want Jesus to fail. I want him to do everything that he intends to do in my life and in our church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege to love and to serve and to pastor a church of people who don't just sing about loving you, they show their love for you by loving somebody else. Thank you for every person that's received the gospel by way of a gospel track or a verbal communication of the gospel this week. Thank you for the many that have bowed their head and said, yes, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. And I pray that tonight we would not attempt to do a great work for you, but we would just report to you and let you do a great work through us. Bless our invitation tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.